sepulchral cry of cuckoo. Since then, I have been ravenless. No account of the Gordon riots having been, to my knowledge, introduced into any work of fiction, and the subject presenting very extraordinary and remarkable features, I was led to project this tale. It is unnecessary to say that those shameful tumults, while they reflect indelible disgrace upon the time in which they occurred, and all who had act or part in them, teach a good lesson, that what we falsely call a religious cry is easily raised by men who have no religion, and who in their daily practice set at naught the commonest principles of right and wrong, that it is begotten of intolerance and persecution, that it is senseless, besotted, inveterate, and unmerciful, all history teaches us. But perhaps we do not know it in our hearts too well, to profit by even so humble an example as the no-popery riots of 1780. However imperfectly those disturbances are set forth in the following pages, they are impartially painted by one who has no sympathy with the Romish Church, though he acknowledges, as most men do, some esteemed friends among the followers of its creed. In the description of the principal outrages, Reference has been had to the best authorities of that time, such as they are. The account given in this tale of all the main features of the riots is substantially correct. Mr. Dennis's allusions to the flourishing condition of his trade in those days have their foundation in truth and not in the author's fancy. Any file of old newspapers or odd volume of the annual register will prove this with terrible ease. Even the case of Mary Jones— dwelt upon with so much pleasure by the same character, is no effort of invention. The facts were stated exactly as they are stated here in the House of Commons. Whether they afforded as much entertainment to the merry gentlemen assembled there as some other most affecting circumstances of a similar nature mentioned by Sir Samuel Romilly is not recorded. That the case of Mary Jones may speak the more emphatically for itself, I subjoin it, as related by Sir William Meredith in a speech in Parliament, on frequent executions, made in 1777. Under this act, the shoplifting act, one Mary Jones was executed, whose case I shall just mention. It was at the time when press warrants were issued, on the alarm about Falkland Islands. The woman's husband was pressed, their goods seized for some debts of his, and she, with two small children, turned into the streets a-begging. It is a circumstance not to be forgotten that she was very young, under nineteen, and most remarkably handsome. She went to a linen-draper's shop, took some coarse linen off the counter, and slipped it under her cloak. The shopman saw her, and she laid it down. For this she was hanged. Her defence was— I have the trial in my pocket, that she had lived in credit and wanted for nothing till a press-gang came and stole her husband from her. But since then she had no bed to lie on, nothing to give her children to eat, and they were almost naked. And perhaps she might have done something wrong, for she hardly knew what she did. The parish officers testified the truth of this story but it seems there had been a good deal of shoplifting about Ludgate. An example was thought necessary, and this woman was hanged for the comfort and satisfaction of shopkeepers in Ludgate Street. When brought to receive sentence, she behaved in such a frantic manner 
has proved her mind to be in a distracted and desponding state, and the child was sucking at her breast when she set out for Tyburn. Chapter 1 In the year 1775 there stood upon the borders of Epping Forest, at a distance of about twelve miles from London, measuring from the standard in Cornhill, or rather from the spot on or near to which the standard used to be in days of yore, a house of public entertainment called the Maypole, which fact was demonstrated to all such travellers as could neither read nor write, and at that time a vast number, both of travellers and stay-at-homes, were in this condition, by the emblem reared on the roadside over against the house, which, if not of those goodly proportions that maypoles were wont to present in olden times, was a fair young ash, thirty feet in height, and straight as any arrow that ever English yeoman drew. The maypole, by which term from henceforth is meant the house and not its sign,